It's Tuesday, November 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Another big week with more public testimony in the Democrats' impeachment hearings. And as the hearings continue to anger President Trump, it is also causing some tension between him and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Reports say that Trump blames Pompeo for letting so many State Department officials testify to impeachment investigators. Carol Lee, NBC News correspondent, joins us for more. Next, loneliness is becoming a more common situation that people are experiencing. But would you pay upwards of $720 for help finding a friend? While people are racking up thousands of friends online and through social media, many people still long for deep platonic relationships. Enter co-working and co-living spaces, apps to help you find friends, and even consultants to help you set up a friend date. Lisa Bonos, reporter for The Washington Post, joins us for more on the friend-finding industry. Finally, a little puppy named Narwhal captured the hearts of many people on the internet last week. Narwhal is special because he was born with two tails. And while that could be strange already, the second tail he was born with is coming out of his forehead. Claire Maldarelli, associate editor of Popular Science, joins us for the science behind Narwhal's forehead tail. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We've got officers going up there to testify about important security-related matters without a State Department lawyer in the room, and then we're not being prepared to uh, being allowed to know what it says. We're not able to protect the State Department. We're not able to protect the United States of America. And Adam Schiff ought to be embarrassed by the kangaroo court that he's running. Joining us now is Carol Lee, NBC News correspondent. Thanks for joining us, Carol. Thanks for having me. We have a big week ahead of us. There's going to be eight different people testifying in the impeachment hearings going on right now. Eight people over three days. Wednesday is probably going to be the most exciting day with the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Goran Sondland, testifying. But the news is, is that the men leading all these people in the State Department, Mike Pompeo, a lot of people are not very happy with him within the State Department, including the president, who kind of blames him for allowing so many of these people to testify because a lot of the damaging news that has been coming out Carol, tell us a little bit about the relationship between the president and Mike Pompeo right now. What my colleagues and I have learned from reporting out kind of what the president's thinking is, people around him in terms of impeachment, is that Mike Pompeo, who's had probably the closest relationship with the president outside of his daughter and son-in-law in the administration, um, and it certainly outlasted a lot of other members of the national security team that the president kind of chewed up and spit out over the last oh, yeah. almost three years. And now this is the first real tension in the relationship because the president according to people we talked to, views Pompeo as the person who hired these, what the president calls never Trumpers, who work for the State Department and are essentially, in his view, trying to bring down his presidency. So he's been frustrated that Pompeo has hired these folks. And then also just that he hasn't, in the president's view, done enough to try to block them from testifying. You know, it was really the State Department officials who kind of broke the dam in terms of a number of people following after them who were being asked to testify with the White House or the State Department who were asking them not to comply with Congress on that. So there's some tension there. There's a lot of frustration. They had a, um, a lunch on October 29th that our sources tell us the president showed up at the lunch at the White House angry, and he confronted Pompeo about this. And the secretary basically said, look, I don't know half of these people. There are so many people that work in the State Department. This, this isn't my fault. 
one of the people we talked to said that they had patched things up. And then another person we talked to said not so much that (laughs) basically once you have a crack in the relationship with Trump, it's hard to go back to the beginning again and really pair things up. Right. And as the testimony keeps coming out from State Department officials, the president is probably going to be getting increasingly angry at it. Mike Pompeo heads the State Department. There's 75,000 people in that department, you know, a lot of lower level people and whatnot, but still it is kind of a monster of its own. And really these ambassadors and all these people, that's why when you hear about their resumes, they've served over many administrations, Republican and Democratic. You always hear this because these are the career diplomats that are serving there for so long. So very well, Mike Pompeo could not know some of these, but one influential person was Bill Taylor himself. That's who Pompeo installed into that position after Marie Yovanovitch had left. That's something that's really in particular irritated the president is Bill Taylor. And he said some things. He's obviously said a lot about Bill Taylor publicly in terms of he's an ever-Trumper, but he's also sent some somewhat more subtle shots at Pompeo over this where he's tweeted something to the effect of like, who's hiring these people? Or when are people going to stop hiring these never-Trumpers? He's like, gee, I wonder who he's talking about. There was even a great quote from the president who said, here's the problem. He's like, Taylor is a big never Trumper. And then he said, the other problem is, and he's like, everyone makes mistakes, Mike Pompeo. Everyone makes mistakes. So that's like directly targeted towards him. Yeah, it was a casual observer seeing the president saying something that's like, oh, he's mentioning makes mistake, whatever. But if you're Mike Pompeo and the people around the president, you're like, oh, no, he's really mad. Because right. that's the tell for this president when he gets upset. But certainly, yeah, Bill Taylor is one that really, really bothers him. What's the struggle for Mike Pompeo with other State Department officials? When Maria Ivanovich testified mm-hmm. on Friday, she said that morale is very low at the State Department, especially because nobody defended her when it seemed like she was getting kicked out. State Department officials don't know what to make of Rudy Giuliani inserting himself in all of this. And a lot of them, they have orders that they've been working on, projects that they've been developing and working on. And Rudy Giuliani is kind of throwing a wrench in all this. And presumably this stuff comes from the president. But these are the connections that they're trying to make during the impeachment hearings. But how does Mike Pompeo handle this? These State Department officials that have standing orders and then things change at the drop of a hat. The kind of widespread view is that Pompeo hasn't handled it well, no matter who you're kind of talking to, whether it's people inside the State Department or if you're the president, you're unhappy with them. And one senior administration official told us that Pompeo is basically in this untenable position where he's trying to run this bureaucracy of 75,000 plus people who are doing all kinds of different things. And then you have, while also trying to the president who really has a kind of very black and white view about loyalty and what people are able to do to protect him and defend him. And that has been a real tricky balancing act. And we even saw today that the secretary spoke in front of reporters and he didn't give this sort of full-throated defense of Marie Ivanovich that many in the State Department would like him to have done. In fact, one of his aides resigned over him not defending her earlier in all of this. And what you saw in her testimony, really, it was striking because she seemed to be the voice that a lot of career officials at the State Department were looking for in, in their leadership that they didn't find. Where that, And that was essentially sticking up for the State Department and its 
mission and the fact that it's been hollowed out and kind of really calling on Congress and other elected officials to do something about this. And we just haven't heard that from Secretary in large part because he spent a lot of time managing his relationship with President Trump. And a lot of the people who work for him in his department are people who the president would consider the quote unquote deep state. And so it's a difficult position for him. And, And the interesting thing about it is it's the first time he's really found himself in a position where even the president isn't satisfied with him. Like usually he'll take a lot of incoming, maybe within his own department, but he still has the support of the president and the president's obviously not as happy with him as he was a couple of months ago. And so that's definitely a new dynamic for Mike Pompeo. Carol Lee, NBC News correspondent. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. For some people, it's not about fitness as much as it is just about getting out of the house. And you know, it's not that they're inherently lonely or antisocial or don't have any friends, but to have a friend that's available to walk when you need them or want them uh, is not a luxury that everyone has here in L.A. Joining us now is Lisa Bonos, reporter for The Washington Post, writing about dating and relationships. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about how hard it is for adults to find friends and this kind of new industry, really, that has popped up with services and apps similar to dating apps. But this is all with the express purpose of finding friendship, maybe a lasting friendship. A lot of these apps and services are geared towards women, but guys need friends, too. It reminds me of that movie, I Love You, Man, with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel, where he's looking for a friend and a best man for his wedding. So, Lisa, tell us a little bit about loneliness and how this new industry has popped up. I found out about this when a local matchmaker in Washington decided that she was going to start matching people as platonic friends. And I thought, wow, this must really be <laughs> becoming a thing because I knew about the dating apps. There's Bumble BFF. The League has a friend mode. There's a friend app just for moms out there. There's all sorts of apps. And the matchmaker is working with people that are a little bit older, like in their 40s and 50s and beyond. So that made me think like, oh, this is really a thing. And loneliness is very common. We're hearing more and more stories about it more recently. And there's a lot of things that pop up in people's lives. Obviously, it's all the usual stuff, work, kids, alone time that you just don't want to be around other people. But people are looking for longer lasting relationships, things that are more than just acquaintances that could be good for small talk. People want somebody that they can have serious conversations with, sit around and do nothing or just genuinely enjoy somebody else's time. One of the friendship experts I spoke to really emphasized this idea that for a deep friendship, you need consistency, positivity, and vulnerability. So think about like if you meet someone at the gym or somewhere else outside of work, you might not have that consistency unless you're deciding, okay, every Tuesday we're going to eat lunch together or grab coffee once a month. And so consistency can be a big part of that. And on top of that, I mean, there's people that have put numbers to this. So you need Mm -hmm. about 50 to 60 hours for somebody to go from an acquaintance to a casual friend. Other places have Mm -hmm. said that you you need 60 to 100 hours to become a friend friend and 200 hours or more for somebody to become a close friend. That's a lot of time, a big time commitment that a lot of people, even though they want friends and don't want to be lonely, might not be willing to put in. 
And not everyone has that time to give. I spoke to a lot of people who, in trying to make friendships, they would meet someone that they really liked and, and try to make plans. And the other person would say, like, I'm sorry, all of my circles are full. You know, there's no <laughs> kind of polite way. If you're in a relationship, you can say, like, oh, no, I'm married or I have right. a significant other. I can't accept your date. But people are even doing that when it comes to friend dating. So tell us a little bit about some of the solutions to this. Uh, yeah. I, there's some matchmakers, there's apps, there's all this stuff. Tell us a few of these. There are all these apps. Like you said, there's also, you're in Los Angeles, right? Yes, we're in LA. Yeah. So locally, there is a man who started a business like people walking. So he, you can <laughs> Saw that. book him for a walk in the neighborhood or a hike or something. I actually happened to be in Los Angeles in the summer and we walked through Griffith Park and up to the Hollywood sign and he was getting recognized on the street. Like you're the people walker. So it was really interesting well, to do. Let me ask you specifically about that. Yeah. I mean, you're not from LA, so you're just kind of out here, but as a potential, maybe you weren't going to be friends with this person, but <laughs> was the experience enjoyable enough? Maybe something you'd want to do again. I mean, he's making a business out of it, but yeah. for somebody that might be lonely or might want some of that human interaction, was that successful? You know, I thought about in my own life in Washington, I really like to walk a lot. And sometimes I'm walking around the city by myself to get from point A to point B. But I really thought like I would hire myself out to be a walker um, to walk someone else around. And I also found out about this site called Rent-A-Friend, which sounds a little, well, you can pay to have someone do something with you. And right. I this didn't make it into the story, but I did speak to a woman who rents herself out as a friend. So business travelers are in Washington and they want someone to share a meal with. She will rent her companion services just for a meal. And she makes it very clear up front that it's just platonic. And I think she has even sometimes only worked with women yeah. because she wanted to make sure that. But <laughs> it's certainly one thing that came clear out of the whole working on the story is that people are lonely and it yeah. is, lives are really busy and it's hard to find that kind of consistency sometimes. I'm sure a lot of these steps that are just connecting people could be free. You mentioned mm -hmm. People Walker. I think mm -hmm. they charge about $21 for 30 minutes. But some of these other services, you profile one such service where they're actually setting people up kind of to go out on platonic dates and whatever. They charge 720 bucks for three platonic matches. That could get very yeah. pricey very quickly. And that's just the introductory rate. You can pay her a little, the matchmaker a little bit more and she'll actually decide what you're going to do on your outing. <laughs> you know, book some time at a ropes course or a restaurant that you want to go to, that kind of thing. So it can get really pricey, but we pay for all sorts of things in our lives, right? So, so why not a way to find new friends? Potentially. There's just so many things that can go into this. It's just a kind of another layer. And they blame a lot of this on the technology, even though they're using technology to find friends, but we can make hundreds of friends on social media, but those connections aren't really the type of person-to-person -person interaction that a lot of people crave. And that this is kind of where all these other services step in. One thing that Chuck McCarthy, the people walker, said to me that really stuck with me is that he felt like when you are on Facebook and have all these friends, that it's like being cold and having a giant blanket on versus just being cold. Like if you didn't have all of the Facebook friends and everything. And he called this kind of false sense of warmth created by social media that it's just like very frustrating to kind of be shivering under that theoretical blanket. Lisa Bonos, reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
Narwhal, the tiny magical unicorn puppy. When I saw him Sunday morning, I literally just exploded. I was like, he is perfect. Joining us now is Claire Maldarelli, associate editor at Popular Science. Thanks for joining us, Claire. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Last week, there was a 20-week-old puppy that went viral. His name is Narwhal, and the thing that's particular about him is that he has an extra tail. And while that might have happened, you know, over the course of time, this particular puppy has the extra tail coming right out of his forehead, right in between his two eyes, hence the name Narwhal. Claire, tell us a little bit about him and, and what we know about why this might have happened. So it's definitely like a very prominent place if you were going to have a second tail <laughs> to have it right in front of your forehead. So people like see it really clearly. And so he's gotten so much popularity in the past week alone. And I think like so many people have reached out to want to adopt him. Yeah. So the reason for it, it's, it's essentially just like a congenital defect, which are just conditions that are present at birth. So the first thing that the veterinarians did was they x-rayed narwhal to see if there was any like bony attachments in there or any skeletons or anything like that and they didn't see it so essentially it's just this extra flap of skin and so the question is like where did that come from is it actually a literal second tail or is it something else and so researchers i think across the internet are kind of at odds with each other and don't really know what is actually causing this some think that it could not be a second tail because a tail would have some sort of indication of any type of bones or bone fragments right. or the beginnings of a bone, and this doesn't at all. So other researchers kind of think that it could be that narwhal was an identical twin, which is actually really, really rare in dogs because they're born in litters. But if he was an identical twin, then this is sort of the remnants, the leftover cells of his twin. Yeah, so, a, paras um, a parasitic twin is what some people have said, but you're right. A twin dog is rare as it is, so this would it be doubly rare. So uh, even the veterinarian that looked at Narwhal at first said that things like this can emerge from anything from genetics, which is a congenital birth defect, to environmental factors or even toxins. But researchers just don't really know. And I think the interesting thing is that if you look at it from an evolutionary biology standpoint, researchers still don't completely understand even the process that gives way to all organisms sort of going from their early, early development stage to looking like they do. Like how do humans even get to look exactly like we do? So that's kind of why they still don't know why this happened, because they don't even know how it happens in the perfect case scenario. So uh, you mentioned that the little tail has no bones or anything in it. So unfortunately, it doesn't wag much to the chagrin right. of uh, many people. People would, I think I had a couple of <laughs> friends who said, oh, but his tail doesn't wag. And I'm like, well, that's that's OK. It doesn't have to. But I know <laughs> some people order. Yeah, some people were curious about that. And the doctors said it is just kind of a little flap there. It doesn't get in the way of his vision or anything. But if it was to pose some type of complication, they would have removed it. But since it doesn't, they're perfectly happy letting him keep it. It shows that being unique isn't all bad at all. And I think so many people are reaching out to want to adopt Narwhal that having a unique feature like that is always a good thing. Right. And where did they come across Narwhal? My understanding was that he was abandoned or something. That's what the reports that we had in our reporter, which you reported on it, that it was somehow abandoned with another puppy and this one organization called Max Mission, which is essentially a animal shelter for dogs that sort of have these not as extreme as narwhal, obviously, but sort of like unique characteristics that make them less likely perhaps to get adopted. And so narwhal was sent to Max Mission. He's still there now, I believe. Claire Maldarelli, Associate Editor at Popular Science. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you.
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.